If you have your Bible uh, this morning, turn with me to Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. The title of my message today is How to Worry Less. When we think about 9-11, we think about all the things in our world that can go wrong. It's hard to live a worry-free life. So today we're going to take some time and read some scripture, and hopefully this will be helpful to all of us. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. A lady uh, every night for about 10 years or every other night would get her husband up from bed in the middle of the night and tell him to go downstairs because there was a burglar down there, she thought. And she was real worried about it and she couldn't sleep as long as she was having that thought. So the wife uh, would worry and worry, and finally she, each night, would wake him up, punch him, and really make him go down because she heard a noise, or she felt a shake in the wall, or she might have left the window open down there. Uh, She was just so worried that she couldn't go to sleep until he went down there and checked everything out. Well, one night, as always, she woke up. Thought she heard a noise. She punched him. She said, uh, there's something downstairs. Somebody's downstairs. They're doing something. They're robbing us. You've got to go down there. You've got to go down there and check all this out. And it was kind of the same old drill for him. So he got up. He went downstairs. And lo and behold, there was a burglar down there, just right in the middle of the room. And the burglar was more afraid than the husband was. The husband said, would you please do something for me? Please come upstairs and meet my wife. She has been looking for you every night for over 10 years. Verse 25 says, don't worry about eating and drinking. Now, you might not have the finest steak. Uh, You might not be at the finest uh, restaurant in Tampa. But the Lord really helps us to have something to eat. I don't know of a lot of people in America that are going hungry. There's so many things that we should not worry about. I made a little list, and I want to share that list with you uh, this morning. Number one, don't worry about questions that you can't answer. 
We don't know if Russia and Iran are going to go together and attack Israel. We don't know. We don't know if they're going to do that. They talk like they might. They have said a lot of very hateful things about Israel. They haven't done it yet, but uh, a lot of people across our country are worrying about that. We don't know if the Antichrist is alive today. We don't know that. A lot of people through the years, you remember this one was the Antichrist, that one was the Antichrist. You remember all that? There have been names that have been given to people down through all the years, and it, it never has been right. You know, they said it was so-and-so, and then after a few years, whoever it was they were saying it was, died. So it obviously wasn't them. We know a million different things that we could worry about all day long, every day. Don't stay awake every night worrying about a burglar in the living room. You know, don't do that. That's not the way to spend your life. When I was in college, I took a psychology course, and one of the main parts of the course was studying about stress. And some psychologists earlier on had made what they called a stress list, listed all the things that stress the people in the world today, and they gave a number to each one of those things, and that was the number of points of stress that you would have if that particular thing happened to you. And the highest one got 100 points, and then they uh, just went down the list. The top one was the death of a mate. That was 100 points. That's the worst thing uh, that could happen to you and cause you more stress than anything else. The next one was divorce. It had 73 points. The next one down uh, was going to jail. It was 63 points. The next one below that was getting fired. That was 47 points. The next one down was to have great success in your life. Uh, Like you got a a jump promotion or, you know, something really unbelievably wonderful happened to you. Of course, that would cause a lot of stress in your life. A change of residence is worth 20 points. Vacation, when you're supposed to be resting, is 13 points. And Christmas is 12 points. Well, now if you have two or three of these things together, guess what? You are just absolutely full of stress and you're about to go crazy. You know, and then add illness in. You know, if you have something wrong with you, uh, add that in on top of, of this list of things and think about how difficult uh, that would be. Now, the Lord says not to worry about anything. I want to confess this morning that I'm preaching above my uh, faith level because there are (laughs) some things that I do worry about, and my guess is you do too. So uh, probably none of us are perfect in this regard. Number two is don't worry about illnesses that you don't have. Uh, Have you spent hours and hours and hours worrying about this Zika thing, this mosquito that's coming after us. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was bit on the arm by something. I thought, Zika, Zika. <laughs> you know, it was, 
That was not good. I thought that was the one. That was the one. Do you uh, worry about some disease that runs in your family? Do you worry about that every day? Uh, You know, maybe you have diabetes all through your family or there's cancer all through your family and uh, you worry about it. Uh, Have your mother or father or both have a heart attack and you have indigestion and heartburn and you think, I'm having a heart attack. And, uh, you know, you go through all of that. Well, what, what do you do about it? Well, in this regard, you get a checkup every six months. You probably go on a diet, and you get some exercise. Those three things. That's what you do. If you do those three things, then maybe you can take all those things that you're worried about and put them off to the side. Uh, the Lord says uh, to leave it in his hands, and he'll take care of it. Number three, take one day at a time, just one day. In verse 34, Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow in our text this morning. Uh, Take no thought for tomorrow. Now, he's not saying don't plan. That's not in there. You won't find that in the verse. He's not saying don't invest for the future. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't save. You know, I read a thing in the paper, and I've read this a number of times, that the average person in America, uh, when they die, have have less than $5,000. Less than $5,000. And I always wonder, well, how is the mate going to be taken care of if all they have is $5,000? These verses don't say don't save, don't invest. It doesn't say that. Yesterday belongs to God. It's over. We can't change it. There's nothing that we can do to change yesterday. It's over. There's not anything we can do about tomorrow today. So guess what? We need to serve the Lord and focus on the Lord today. This is the day that we have been given. It's a beautiful day. We have a lot of friends around the room here. We have a lot of people that we enjoy very much being with. Uh, We get to watch TV and check on all the teams and do this and do that. Uh, Live today. Serve him today. Rick Pitino, the great basketball coach, uh, said this one time, struggling today with adversity might seem like the greatest adversity that you will ever have in your life and will prevent you perhaps from living out your life dream." But really, the greatest hurdle that you'll ever face is surviving success. You know, a lot of us don't know how to handle success. And, and you know, we, we get all flustered, and we worry, then we worry about that. We worry about success. All through life, we have successes and failures, one right after another. Don't let any one of those ruin your life because that one thing is not the composite of your life and and should not be the total focal point of your life. Take it one day at a time. There will be new challenges and new victories tomorrow. Tomorrow. We're going to have both tomorrow. Take it one day at a time. Verse 26 says the 
birds of the air, they don't sow any crops, they don't stuff things in the barns, and the Lord takes care of them. Now, that's not saying don't work. That's not saying don't have a retirement plan. But the emphasis there is trusting the Lord today. And then when we get up tomorrow, trust him tomorrow. There might be another 9-11. It could happen any day. Probably there's more chance of that happening today than there is tomorrow, the next day or the next day. Because those kooks that uh, blow people up, the anniversaries mean a lot to them. And uh, they do terrible things on anniversaries. Number four is accept forgiveness for all confessed sins. Have you gone to the Lord and said, uh, Lord, forgive me for doing this when I was 27 years old? And then about a month later, you think, I don't know if I covered that well enough. And so you pray again, Lord, forgive me for that thing I did when I was 27. And then a year later, you know, you think back, have I ever asked for forgiveness for that? And so you kind of keep going over the same, same thing over and over. When we confess our sins, the Lord not only forgives our sins, but he forgets our sins. He forgets them. They're gone. Now, people can't do that. We can forgive sins, but we don't forget, do we? We remember. We remember everything. Well, Psalms 103 verse 12 says that God removes our sin uh, from as far away from us as the east is from the west. Well, how far apart is that? It's forever apart. I mean forever apart. If God forgets your sin, God has forgotten your sin, and you don't have to worry about it. Now, I don't know how we can get, do we need to write that on everybody's forehead? Or what, how do we get, how do we imprint that on everybody's heart? If, if God has forgiven it, he's forgotten it, and we can forget it. We can forget it, just totally. We sing Amazing Grace. That's a great hymn. One of the best. Uh, it, it talks about the unmerited favor of God being upon us. And that's, of course, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, as we sing that hymn, do we believe it? Do we believe that hymn that we have sung perhaps all of our lives? I once was lost, but now I'm fi- found. was blind, but now I see. Great him. All of that happens, and we can believe that it happens because of the grace of God that he promises to everyone that says, Lord, please forgive me for this or that or the other. He loves us. He forgives us if we ask him. Now, your circle of confession should never be larger than your circle of transgression. In other words, you don't want to go out and tell everybody in the world all the bad things you've done. I have people that come to me all the time, and they say, 
you know, I've just been married for a year, and I wonder if I ought to tell my new wife and new husband all the things that I did wrong in the past. Should I, you know, should I do that? And I always say, no. No, you absolutely shouldn't do that had a man call me recently, and he told me the most awful things about his wife having their children through other men. She was unfaithful to him. He said, uh, do I owe it to tell that to my two boys? I said, no. No, let that, let that alone. Just, just leave that alone. Don't bring that up. wouldn't help anything. Uh, it would cause a lot of strife, a lot of discord. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, there's one person that you want to include in your confessional uh, experience is, is God. You know, he's got to be right in the middle of that. One wonderful thing about talking and confessing to our Lord is that he doesn't tell anybody else. He's not a blabbermouth. He, he doesn't share anything with anybody else. He keeps all of our secrets. It's just between him and you. That's good. Verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, Jesus is teaching us not to be a fake in our religion, not to have a religion that's all a bunch of show, that's just something to draw attention to ourselves. People that are not real in worship, have three things that they're afraid of. Number one, they're afraid uh, that people will find out that they're a fraud. Number two, they're afraid to live with themselves. They've got this big bad thing that they've been doing, and, and sometimes it bothers them. And then the third is we're, we're afraid to live with God because we know that God knows better than what we're saying and doing. We need to confess our sins, accept the forgiveness of our sins, and then don't fake anything. We don't need to fake stuff. You know, there are some people that uh, are always uh, bragging about how big their fish is that they caught. Have you done that? I've done that. Have you ever done that? Uh, You know, we brag and and we kind of embellish certain things. Uh, we don't want to lie about stuff. We, we really don't, uh, we don't. We don't have to fake anything. You know, nobody's going to like you less if the bass is six inches shorter than you said it was. <laughs> you know, you don't have to uh, fake it. Uh, we should be just very, very upfront with God about what's going on in our lives. John 3.16 says that God loves us. Now, some people don't know how to handle that. There are a lot of people in our world that never really have had a lot of love. My family was not a a loving family. My dad was real stern. My mom was uh, not real loving uh, person. Maybe that was the way it was in your family. Maybe you grew up with a single parent, and that one was working all the time and gone all the time, and you didn't have time to uh, feel any love at all in your family. Well, some people really don't know that they're loved by God, even though 
we talk about it, we get people to read the Bible, we, you know, we put it in literature and everything, but some people either don't know it or they don't believe it. Maybe they weren't loved much uh, at home as a child. They just, they just never experienced it. Maybe they weren't loved much in their marriage. Maybe they weren't loved much at their job. You know, they had a job and, and nobody there acted like they liked them very much. It's hard for them to be open and honest with the Lord who loves them. It's hard. If you come out of a background of not really feeling strong love, it's hard to all of, all of a sudden say, well, I know that God loves me a whole lot. He really loves me a whole lot, which is true. But it's hard for them to get that. Accepting forgiveness is very, very hard for some people. We just can't get a picture in our mind about who's doing it, particularly the people that haven't felt love as they were growing up. You know, God demonstrated his love in so many ways. If, if people could get a historical perspective about the love of God in creation, in the cross, in the wonderful stuff that he has created for us, the mountains, the valleys, the, the lakes, the rivers, the oceans, the forests, the, you know, we, there's a list of a thousand things. God has demonstrated his love through creation, through the cross. You know, if it's just those two things, it, it ought to make it easier for us to accept who he is, because we know because of those things that he really is a loving person. All right, number five, remember you cannot unscramble eggs. <laughs> if it's done, it's done. You can't put them back together. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how good a cook you are, doesn't matter how much time you've been in the kitchen, you can't put an egg back together. It just that doesn't work. Uh, if you dig up your past, guess what? It smells worse. Uh, don't do that. Once you are forgiven of something, it's over. It is over. If God's forgiven you, it's great, of course, if your family and friends forgive you of certain things. But if God has forgiven you, it is over. There's a period there, an exclamation point there. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Did you know that worry has never paid a bill? Worry has never made a car start. Not one time. Uh, we worry because we do not trust God. Verse 27 talks about adding a cubit uh, to your height. Uh, a cubit is uh, uh, the distance of a man's forearm. You measure it from the elbow uh, to the longest, the end of the longest finger. That's a cubit. Well, if you're praying and, and you're worrying about not being taller, and uh, you think if you worry a lot about that, that uh, maybe you'll get taller. Well, you won't. It, it doesn't work that way. That can't, you just can't do it that way. All you can do about worrying about your height is to shorten your life uh, because of the stress that comes. I've said this many times to you. Most doctors uh, believe, and of course they've read all these surveys, 
that 50% of people that go to the doctor don't really have anything wrong with them. They just think there's something wrong with them. 50%. Um, All kinds of of work has been done on that, and those are the numbers that they keep coming up with, that people really don't have any organic disease of any kind that go to the doctor. People just think, well, gosh, this hurts. Something's bound to be wrong. Studies have shown that prolonged shock and prolonged fear, which are really uh, just exaggerated worry, uh, they can affect the workings of all the organs of your body in a detrimental way. So that's not good. Worry is not merely weakness. It is atheism. Have you ever thought of it that way? We're saying basically by our worry that God has abdicated his throne and the world now is being held together by our worrying. And that's idiotic. You know, that's, that doesn't make any sense at all. Actually, the opposite happens. Worriers wreck their world as well as their lives. We need to cast our care upon Jesus. Upon Jesus. That's the answer. Paul wrote in Philippians, uh, he wrote the book uh, from a a, a jail, Roman jail. He wrote about the peace of God and the provision of God, wonderful book. He, He wrote all that while he was chained to a wall, the peace of God, provision of God, while he's chained to a wall. What great faith, what a great testimony. You know, Paul has been such a great example for all of us in so many, many uh, different areas. Are you worried about a decision that you have to make? Now, I bet if we went around and we had the truth-telling machine with us and we went around to every single person in the room here and we said, do you have a big decision coming this week, this month in your life? The fact is, is that many of you do. Well... Uh, before you make that big decision and before you just let it ruin your life worrying about it, there's three things that you ought to do. Uh, You ought to look in the Bible. What does the Bible say about it? Is anything about it in the Bible? Number two, you ought to think about our church and think about the people in this church that you think are the most spiritually mature people that are members of this church. And you ought to go to them and talk to them about the decision that you're going to be making. You know, the scripture says there's wise counsel in Christian brothers. And we need that counsel. We all make decisions along life's way. And we needed really to think about it some more. Uh, and then think, uh, you know, does the, does the Lord, does he give me word about this? Do I have a clear word from God about this? If not, maybe, uh, you ought to wait. You ought to wait. You know, we'd all be better off if we had waited before we did certain things in our life. Well, a young man was graduating from the seminary, and all of his uh, life to that point, he had wanted to be a missionary. 
he had talked to missionaries when he was a little kid, and he just thought they were wonderful. They were doing great and wonderful things, and he wanted to be one. He wanted to be a missionary. That's what he wanted to do with his life. And in his denomination, he knew that there were some hoops that you had to jump through, and so he found out what he had to do. First thing he had to do was to tell them he wanted to be a missionary. And then they would send a whole lot of papers. So they did. They sent him a whole lot of papers. And he had to fill out all those papers about himself and his past and his family and his church involvement and, you know, his spiritual decisions in his life and all that. A lot of paperwork. So he filled all that out and sent it in. They said, you know, did a good job. Now there are some tests that you have to take. And he went in and he took all these tests. And when he got through taking all the tests and they looked it all over, they said, uh, you did well. You did well on the test. They said that there's a third part to this, to your accreditation as a missionary. You've got to go and talk to a senior, aged, experienced, godly statesman who has been a missionary for a long period of time. So then they told him, they said, this is the most important part of your qualifying. And so he took the name of a man, he called him on the phone, and he said, you know, I'd like to be a missionary, and they told me that I needed to visit with you and that you would see if I was, you know, the right kind of person to be a missionary. And so the elder statesman said, well, uh, why don't we do this right away? Are you in a hurry to do this? And the young man said, yes, I'm, I'm through seminary. I want to do it. And so the senior statesman said, well, meet me in the morning at 3 a.m. at my house. And he gave him the address. And the young man said, all right. So the next morning he got up and he went to the house. Knocked on the door, and the wife of the elderly uh, missionary opened the door and showed him into the parlor and said, uh, just sit down here, he'll be along in a while. Well, he went in and he sat down. It's three in the morning. At eight o'clock in the morning, the old statesman statesman walked in, eight o'clock. And he said, I have three questions I want to ask you. And the young man said, all right. He said, it's just three questions. He said, all right. He said, the first question is, can you spell? And the young man said, well, you know, I, I guess I'm like most everybody else. I, You know, I can spell spell some words I, I'm sure I don't know how to spell some words he said well how do you spell dog and the young man said d-o-g he said how do you spell tree and he said t-r-e-e -E. and the man the statesman said right that's right he said do you know about mathematics and the young man said well I, I didn't major in mathematics but I you know I just kind of have a general knowledge about math the senior statesman the godly older missionary said uh, 
Well, what's two times two? And the missionary applicant said uh, four. And the senior statesman said, well, this is your last question. Uh, Do you have anything that you'd like to say? And the young man said, no, I don't. And the senior statesman said, well, you've done a good job on this test. And I'll meet you in the morning at our uh, denomination's office at 9 o'clock. And uh, be sure to be there. And the young man said, I'll be there. So the next morning, they all kind of gathered together. And the chairman of the committee at the denomination said uh, to the senior statesman, uh, well, you've examined him. He's passed the two other parts of his qualification. Uh, what's your word? What, what do you think? Do you think he would be a good uh, missionary? And the older missionary man said, uh, I think he did a, a real good job. He said, I tested him on sincerity. I had him... Um, come to my house at three o'clock in the morning it was real cold and I told him to be there at three in the morning and he was there three o'clock he said I tested him on punctuality he was there to the minute at three o'clock I I checked it he was uh, perfect in humility I asked him questions that any five-year-old could answer and he he didn't complain He didn't make any snide remarks about that. He answered with a sweet spirit. Uh, He was very humble. I tested him on anger. He never showed any anger in this whole thing. I had him sit in my parlor for five hours. And he showed no anger whatsoever. He just sailed through that part of the uh, meeting. He said, this young man is not only sincere, he is wise. He didn't gripe about anything. Not one word of gripe about anything. It was as if he had put everything in the hands of God. And as the young missionary applicant sat there, he thought to himself, You know, at each stage of this, I have prayed, Dear Lord, can I just put this in your hands and keep me, Lord, from worrying about it? So he passed, and he became a missionary. Do we pass? Do you pass? Do you pass? Do you pass the test? You know, it's real important that we evaluate where we are with the Lord and if we're doing things right, if we're worrying about everything in the world. Do we pass? I hope we do. I hope we do. What we need to do is what that young man did. We need to put everything in the hands of God. This morning, if there are those here that would like to make a public profession of their faith in Christ, 
we hope that you would do that this morning. This would be a great time. Can't, can't be a better time than right now. Uh, if you're here, you've been visiting with us for a period of time, we hope and pray that you'll come and join us and be brothers and sisters with us in the Lord. The doors of our church are wide open. We want you to come. We're begging you to come. We want you to be a part of our family and help us as we try and minister not only to this area but across our state and really around the world. We're, we're involved in all of that, and we want to do a better job. And the only way we can do a better job is for a lot of folks to come and join with us and help us. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm going to stand down here at the front. And if the Lord leads, you just slip out. And slip forward. I'll be waiting here at the front for you to come. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm-hmm.